Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. When you shop online at EdenFoods.com, enter the coupon code ORGVIEW to receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. For other promotional offers, please visit TheOrganicView.com's website. And don't forget to check out our contest section. As people around the world reflect upon the events of 2016 and prepare to bring in the new year, We'd like to take this opportunity to do the same as it pertains to neonicotinoids. On today's show, Tom and I will be joined by bee health advocate and environmental author, Graham White, to review several key happenings that occurred during 2016. First, I'd like to welcome to the show my co-host, Colorado beekeeper, Mr. Tom Theobald. Hello, Tom. Hello, June. From uh, Colorado, we're having the roller coaster ride of winter. It's supposed to be 60 degrees today with downslope winds and below zero next week as an Arctic cold front moves in again. And I'd like to welcome to the show our friend and fellow bee health advocate from Scotland, Mr. Graham White. Hello, Graham. Well, uh, greetings from Scotland, June. It's, uh, we've had the warmest Christmas day, the second warmest in history. Uh, it's been warm and sunny, quite windy, and uh, it looks like New Year is going to be cold and frosty. Just recently, I actually saw a flowering dandelion, which I just was surprised to see at this time of the year. But Tom reminded me, you know, that's something that isn't unusual, and it's usually the first source of food that the bees do see. Today's discussion is going to be a reflection of some of the key happenings in 2016. When it comes to neonicotinoids, instead of America taking the lead, Europe has stepped up to the plate when it comes to the environment. Graham, can you take a moment and share, can you share some of the highlights of 2016 from the European perspective? I think it's interesting when we look at the global use of neonicotinoids to actually remind ourselves where this all began and when it began. And it began way back in the 1990s, 1994 to be exact, in France when Bayer introduced imidacloprid, the first neonicotinoid, as a seed coating on sunflowers. And in that year, the French lost a million beehives, died within, within a matter of that year and the following year. I think the total was a million beehives. And uh, Bayer denied all responsibility and said neonicotinoids were safe as houses. They couldn't possibly appear in the pollen and nectar flowers And so a science debate began, and uh, the official science was all on the side of Bayer. The government was on the side of Bayer. The regulators were on the side of Bayer. The French beekeepers, all they knew was that their beehives were dying in incredible numbers. So they did the science themselves. They got their own scientists in independent universities. And sure enough, they found that the neonicotinoids were present in the flowers, and they were killing a million beehives a year in France which brought disaster and ruin to many French families. So to cut a long story short, after the science was argued about for four years, the French government banned neonicotinoids, all neonicotinoids, in the year 2000. Now that's 20, well, that's 16 years ago, going on 17 years. 
So we've had 17 years of a neonicotinoids ban in France. And then in, uh, there were subsequent bans in Germany and in Italy. And in 2013, which was 13 years after the French ban, all 28 countries in Europe agreed to ban neonicotinoids on all the crops which bees find attractive. So that was on oilseed rape, or what you call canola, maize, corn, uh, and other flowering crops which bees are attracted to. So we've had, officially, we've had no neonicotinoids used on canola, maize, soybeans, and so on in Europe for three years. And the bees have done reasonably well. Uh, the problem is that everyone in America says, wow, they banned neonicotinoids in Europe. Well, that's only partly true. They didn't ban them on crops which bees do not visit, like cabbages, um, sprouts, bean, you know, Brussels sprouts, um, wheat, barley, and other cereal crops, which are used on an enormous scale. So even though we've managed to protect the bees in a small way from the flowering crops which they do visit, the neonicotinoids still have completely free reign in the wider environment. Now, when we go to, you know, America introduced neonicotinoids in the late 90s, early 2000s, and in that time, it's conservatively estimated that uh, between 10 and 15 million colonies have died, bee colonies have died. Some people would say as high as 20 million, but we don't really know. And in, in that same period, neonicotinoids were introduced to South America. They were introduced in Argentina on a massive scale. Argentina went from being the number one honey producer in the world to losing more than half of its bee colonies in a single year. In Australia, where, where, where Bayer and uh, Syngenta continue to claim that there's been no effect from neonicotinoids, you yourself, June, interviewed Jeffrey Gibb, and he told a completely different story, which is that there have been massive widespread bee losses anywhere in Australia where bees are exposed to cereal crops where neonics are widely used. Now it's interesting so, that you mentioned it's interesting that you mentioned Jeffrey Gibbs because he was on the show a couple of months ago. Tom and I talked to him and unfortunately everything that he had shared with us back in twenty ten I do believe had start, had come to fruition. All the things that Tom talks about that Jeff Anderson from Minnesota, California, Minnesota Honey Farms, who's also part of the Pollinator Stewardship Council, Jeff Anderson has talked about the, the massive bee losses that he's experienced. Jeffrey Gibbs talked about how this has become the norm now in Australia. So basically everything that we've experienced here, they're really starting to see mainstream at this point? I think that to sum it up in a very simple way, uh, every single country on the entire planet where neonicotinoids have been introduced, the bee populations have crashed shortly afterwards. And of course, the thing that no one wants to discuss at all is we only know about the collapse of honeybees because people own honeybees. They, they have an economic value and we monitor whether a hive lives or dies because it's money in our pockets or a debt incurred. But no one knows how many other wild species of pollinators are dying because there are very, very few scientists actually studying them. We know a little about bumblebees. 
and bumblebees are crashing on every continent in every country. We know very, very little about the 4,000 species of wild bees which live in America. All we, we suspect from what we do know that they're vanishing at an incredible rate. Uh, we know about the monarch butterfly. We, we know very little about the thousands of other species of insects which live in and among the arable fields of America where the crops are grown. But what we're seeing is a poisoning on a planetary scale, as I think Tom would agree. One of the things that distinguishes Australia is the industry tactic has been to attempt to blame all of these losses on the predatory varroa mite. And while varroa may be an element in some of these losses, Australia was used as an example of success because Australia is the only continent that no longer has, that has never gotten varroa mites. So the argument on the part of the chemical companies was, here, we're using neonicotinoids and the beekeepers are doing just fine. Well, the interview with Jeffrey Gibbs and the article that he wrote for the Australasian beekeeper exposes the big lie. It's not the case at all. They're having horrible problems in Australia. The only difference in Australia is Australian beekeepers have a greater opportunity to escape to what they call the bush, the non-agricultural land. But they've had the same problems that everywhere else has had all around the globe, just as you've said, Graham. I think, to, again, on the big scale, on the strategic view of what's happening around the world, we have to look at what Americans call the bottom line. And the bottom line is that Neonicotinoids are the number one insecticide used on every continent in the entire world. And the global profits uh, amount to two or three billion dollars profit a year. It's the largest profit, apart from Roundup weed killer, uh, of any farm chemical used in the entire world. So the, I would imagine that the chemical companies are sat in their boardrooms this new year and they're rubbing their hands and saying, well, we introduced this poison more than 20 years ago and our profits have increased every single year and our global dominance and our global penetration of every single market in the world has increased every single year. And in America alone, we're making $1,000 million profit. And in fact, fascinatingly enough, the only place where they're not making a profit is Cuba, and Cuba, because it had a trade embargo for the last 30 or 40 years, has never had neonicotinoids, although it has had the varroa mite. And organic honey from Cuba is the fourth most successful export financially from the Cuban state. So anyone who wants to see what a country looks like when it doesn't have neonicotinoids and how healthy the bees are, even when they have varroa mites, should take a holiday in Cuba. You might learn something very interesting. Graham, I know that Europe has really taken the lead on trying to protect the environment, but there's been a lot of resistance. And I think that with Brexit, that showed just how much resistance there is. From what I understand, the UK has voted to leave the European Union and there have been a lot of repercussions from that. Can you explain to our listeners, especially our American listeners, why this is such a big deal? Well, Britain has been part of the European Union since 1975, which is a long time, almost 40 years. 
And it's just one of 28 countries, including Germany, France, Italy, Spain, who are all part of the European Union. Now, that means we have one pesticide regulation that covers all 28 countries. We have one traffic regulation that covers all 28 countries and so on. That's the whole idea. So Europe was in advance of the rest of the world in banning neonicotinoids in 2013 based on a very, very thorough scientific analysis of the evidence by the European Food Safety Agency. Now, this year, on June 23rd, uh, 2016, Britain voted to leave the European Union, which implies that we won't be having the same pesticide regulations as Europe has as of when we leave. Uh, but not only that, uh, the regulation that banned the neonics in Europe is up for review, and it's going to be reviewed very early in 2017. And the chemical companies have been spending millions and millions of dollars lobbying Europe to, to allow them to continue to sell neonicotinoids. And it's in the balance. We really don't know. I think the balance is slightly in favor of maintaining the ban because the scientific evidence gets stronger and stronger. But Britain wants to be buddies with America. We desperately need American trade. And part of the bargaining chip may well be that the British government, once it leaves Europe, will say to America, anything that's legal in America should be legal in Britain because it's good for trade. So we will be facing a new battle. And I think there'll be enormous pressure to reintroduce neonicotinoids in the UK. Speaking of regulation, there was a very important lawsuit that occurred towards the end of 2016 that was filed by the Center for Food Safety against EPA. Tom, can you just share some of the finer points of the lawsuit and what happened? This is a very significant uh, occurrence for 2016. One of the lead plaintiffs was Jeff Anderson, who you mentioned earlier, June. Uh, he's the California, Minnesota beekeeper. And the lawsuit was over seed treatment of the commodity crops with the neonicotinoids. And what comes as a surprise to most people is that 90% of the use of these neonicotinoids is as seed treatments, not as foliar applications or soil drenches. 90% of the use is as a seed treatment. And what the EPA has done is it's chosen to exempt that seed treatment from any regulation or oversight under what's called the treated articles section. Uh, it's just, it makes no sense whatsoever. And in January, uh, several beekeepers, larger farmers, uh, environmental groups filed suit regarding the exclusion of seed treatment from regulation or oversight. And they lost that suit on a legal technicality, certainly a step backward. While the judge admitted that he sympathized with the beekeepers, he said he was bound by the law and it was the EPA's responsibility to make the decision, not the courts. Participating in that lawsuit was a beekeeper named Brett Addy. Could you just share a little bit about his losses? Because that was significant. If this were any other industry, there would have been an outrage, but that was not the case. Well, Brett 80 is a, an, probably the best reference point we have. 
80 honey farms is the largest honey uh, operation in the world. So we have the world's largest sample size here. And I talked to Brett about a month ago as he was moving bees from all over the country into California in preparation for the almond pollination in February. And Brett's observation was that the bees that are coming from the non-agricultural areas seem to be doing fairly well, whereas the bees that are coming from the agricultural areas are collapsing and have all kinds of problems. And I think that makes it pretty clear that this is an agricultural-based problem, and the the issue is one of the neonicotinoids. They're the most widely used pesticides. 90% of the usage is, is as a seed treatment. Almost all the corn and most of the soybeans are seed treated with neonicotinoids and many other crops as well. Over 200 million acres of agricultural land alone has been poisoned repeatedly with these chemicals and they don't disappear after a few days or a few weeks. They're in the soil and the groundwater for years and they accumulate from year to year with successive uses. It's a horrible poisoning of the environment and the regulators have chosen to turn their heads. I, th I think if I may comment that one of the things that follows from that is, you know, when you're facing any battle, whether it's a political battle about civil rights or an environmental battle like this, uh, it's always very good at the beginning of a new year to take stock and say, is what we're doing having any effect at all? And, I, and you, you two live in America, so I'd be grateful for, for your views. But it seems to me that uh, we've been fighting this for 20 years now all over the world. Europe's had some minor successes on a minor scale, I would say. But the reality is that in America the use of neonicotinoids has continued to expand. It hasn't been threatened in any way. And that means we have to ask ourselves, do we actually have a national strategy? Is there any national resistance? And who's leading that resistance? Do we see any signs, apart from at small-scale state level, that anyone is doing anything at all in America to challenge the dominance of the pesticide corporations? I'd be interested in your view. There are some groups that are. The Center for Food Safety is doing a phenomenal job. You have scientists like Dr. Jonathan Lundgren, who stepped up to the plate and stood up for what he believed was right, and he paid a very dear price. And even more recently, Dr. Jeffrey Pettis. Yes, he was removed as the lead researcher, the research leader for the USDA, for the Agricultural Research Service. We have to ask ourselves, is anything we're doing effective? The Center for Food Safety has done all that work, and what's the result of five years' work? Zero progress. Jonathan Lundgren resigned from his job. He lost his business, blah, blah, blah. What's the net result of that? Zero progress. The only progress we're seeing is individual cities which ban neonics and state pollinator protection programs. And the question has to be asked, are these effective strategies? with national objectives and national leadership, or are they window dressing? Okay, Tom, uh, you know, you're over there on the ground and you know all the people involved. I'd be interested in your assessment as to what regional or local strategies are being used in the United States and whether they really are getting to the core issue of neonicotinoids and bee deaths. Well, I think it's important that we we fight these 
pot fires that are thrown at us, that's necessary. And I think that a lot of the NGOs and state groups and citizen groups have done a, a good job of trying to to deal with these. But the real problem is we've yet to to look at what the source of, of these problems are. And I said earlier in conversation with a friend that while we have to deal with these spot fires, we'll never see a change until we catch the arsonist. And the arsonist in this case, unfortunately, is the Environmental Protection Agency, which has done virtually nothing. In fact, it's been worse than nothing. And a good example of that is what has been called the Managed Pollinator Protection Plans. And this is an outgrowth of the presidential proclamation and the task force that took a look at the bee problems. And what they are proposing is managed pollinator protection plans in each of the states. But if you look at these, this has been a 20-year, very carefully orchestrated manipulation of the beekeepers because the beekeepers are really seen as an inconvenience. And these MP3s, as they're called, are designed to get the beekeepers out of the way. The question is, what is the protection that they provide and who's being protected? And it's certainly not the beekeepers. We talked a week or so ago about the uh, the 48-hour rule, that if I'm an applicator and I call you a beekeeper and say that I'm going to spray a crop that could be damaging to your bees, you have 48 hours to get out of harm's way. What this does is this transfers the burden of responsibility to the backs of the beekeepers and provides for the violation of the law. Because if, as an applicator, I'm required to call you because your bees are at risk, it does nothing to protect any of the other pollinators if my, I move my bees. So what the EPA has done through administrative rulings is created procedures which will violate the federal law, and the Managed Pollinator Protection Programs are one of those efforts. Graham, you discovered just recently that the person responsible for the application of these MP3s is one Dr. Barbara Glenn, who was previously... Right. Maybe you can explain what some of her qualifications were and are... Well, and well, my, my understanding is that this lady is in charge of the national state associations of agriculture. So every single state association of agriculture comes under her domain. And it's the state associations of agriculture, departments of agriculture, which are coordinating each state pollinator protection program. But Barbara Glynn was formerly the uh, chief executive of Crop Life America, which she is was the, the she was the senior vice president for right. science and regulatory affairs for Crop Life America, the major lobbying group for the chemical industry. Does anyone smell a rat here? I certainly do. Well, this is something that occurs all the time, though. We, we have people that have influence with the government that wind up working for these corporations, and they still have their relationships. And it's got to stop. There can't be that revolving door where you do your time with the government, and then all of a sudden you're rewarded with this high-paying job in industry so that you can wreak havoc on the environment. It's, it's criminal. I feel sorry for the good-natured, well-meaning people in every state who have put thousands of hours' work 
into sitting on these pollinator protection committees and arranging to do all kinds of educational programs, planting flowers and so on. Tom, can you take a moment and talk about what's going on in Minnesota? I know that they're working hard to try to change things, but it just seems to be yet another situation where it's an uphill battle. Well, this uh, was an, an advisory issued by the governor of Minnesota in August of this past year, 2016. And it came at the uh, end of two years of investigation by the Minnesota legislature and the review of several hundred studies. And the conclusion was that the neonicotinoids are, in fact, damaging to Minnesota pollinators. And what the governor called for was a review of the existing uh, regulations, the conduct of the Minnesota Department of Agriculture, and the creation of a citizen pollinator protection committee, which would advise the various government agencies. And this was in August, and in October, the 15 members of that committee had been appointed, and they had a meeting on the 22nd of December. They were presented with an agenda that had been created by the Minnesota Department of Agriculture and were given until yesterday, two days ago, Tuesday, to sign off on something that they hadn't seen. They were asked to do this over the Christmas holidays. It sounds like a sleazy bureaucratic trick to me, but nevertheless, this is what they were presented with. And it appears that the Minnesota Department of Agriculture, rather than being advised by a citizen committee, has engineered this so that they are going to be advising the committee. They've couched this agenda in very excusatory terms. They are trying to perpetuate the uh, the great mystery uh, theory that the, the science is unsettled, and that's not the charge that's before them. That was settled with two years of investigation by the Minnesota legislature, and now the Minnesota Department of Agriculture is apparently trying to set that back and derail it and confuse the issue. And this is the kind of thing that we deal with repeatedly. Well, that's quite a devastating analysis of where we are in America, Tom. And given that Europe is now, I would say, in the balance in that they're lobbying to reintroduce neonicotinoids, uh, it still seems like the battle is very, very far from being won. And we face many, many challenges in 2017 if we're to protect bees and pollinators and the wildlife of America. It'll be interesting to see what happens in 2017, especially with a new administration taking over with all the pressures that are on the beekeepers, uh, let's just hope that the right changes do take place, but all we can do is just hope for the best. Tom, Graham, I want to thank you for taking the time to share with the listeners some of your perspectives about 2016, and hopefully 2017 will be a much better year. For what it's worth, have a very happy new year, fellas. And you. Thank you, Joan, and thank you, Graham. Okay. See you in 2017. And folks, thank you so much for tuning in. Please tune in next year as Tom and I continue the discussion. Have a happy and healthy new year.